0: Hey there. Thank you for tuning in to the How We Interview podcast. Today, I talked to Chuck Solomon. Chuck Solomon's the Director of Employer Branding at LifeStance Health. Chuck and I have known each other for some time. I know he's got some very valid and strong opinions about candidate experience. and He's built his process at LifeStance around what I would call a first-class applicant experience, and really how they look at the candidate experience is really a means of leading into how employees feel about working as an organization. So with that, we'll take you right to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is Aaron Krolja with the How We Interview podcast. Today, we have Chuck Solomon. Chuck, I've known for some time, and he's also a fellow podcaster. So we'll have you plug that at the end so people can follow you there as well. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Chuck, I'd love to start with you just talking about kind of your background in this space, where you've been, what you're doing now in the industry that you work in. Thanks,
1: Aaron. And first off, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate the offer and always happy to talk shop, if you will, about some topics that are dear and dear to me. There's, I always try to think back, how did I get started in this business? And uh, I don't think there's any clear path that anyone can say, I went to school for this, and I certainly didn't. A friend of mine said, hey, I think you'd be a really good recruiter. And I'm like, really? And I went and I applied for a job or a technical recruiting role got hired, went through a really great training. I did anything about technical recruiting and learned on the job. It had great managers that I'm still in contact with today that sort of helped me learn. And so that was my, I guess, my first steps into this. I've done some other things. I've had my own business, consulted, worked in the startup space. Currently, I work for a mental health care company called Ice Dance Health, I'm the director of employer brand and recruitment operations. Essentially, what that means is I fill the top of the funnel. So with either applicants or leads for my recruiting team to take them from apply or lead all the way through our process to offer and hire. Yeah, it's
0: fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's awesome. That's fascinating background. I think for what you do now, people typically come in two different flavors, right? You are either former recruiter, so mid to bottom funnel, or you have a marketing background, which is me. I came from about a decade in consumer-facing marketing. It's really interesting to see how different sides of that coin approach this work.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because people were like, You're a recruiter, then you do this recruit marketing sort of stuff. And I'm like, it's very clear, I was a recruiter, and then I was a small business person, and when you're a small business person, you're looking at the your advertising spend, you're very critical and frugal with that, because it's your own money. I'm still very critical and frugal with my employer's money as well. I want to make sure it's spent the best way, but that's how I learned a lot of the digital marketing stuff, was to my own business. And... Then I was able to marry up those those two roles into one in my last, my current, three previous positions before this, my current one. Yeah. So we come from opposite ends of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, the opposite ends. Yeah, doing the same exact thing, which is which yeah. is hilarious. You talked a little bit about top of funnel. And I think some people who are listening to this be like, yeah, I know exactly what it is. Levels would be like, what the heck are you talking about? Can you talk a little bit about your role and how that feeds the top of funnel? And then because you've been a recruiter in the past, maybe take it from there to what that looks like. If the funnel is larger at the top and then you're handing the best candidates off to the recruiters, because since we're so focused on, on, on how we interview, talk about how that process works in the transition to the recruiting teams.
1: Yeah, for the most part, i try to automate this. So when someone applies, it goes right to the person that is going to be reviewing and putting the individual through the process. And that works 99% of the time. So we'll forget about the 1% of the time it doesn't work. But, But my role is really to make sure that there are sufficient applicants coming in because as anyone that works in talent knows, you get a, it's very easy to apply for a job now, and it's very easy for a, not to pick on an Amazon warehouse worker, but I will. <laughs> it's very easy for a Amazon warehouse worker to see, oh, this is a psychotherapist job that pays over $100,000. Easy apply, click. <laughs> so it's very easy for that person to go ahead and apply for the roles these days, which is which is great for the people that actually are qualified for our jobs. It's really easy for them, but we still, my team still needs, we physically review every person that applies. And I'm sorry for the Amazon worker that wants to be a psychologist. I say, good job, go ahead and go out and get your undergraduate degree, your PhD, sit for your state licensure. Then we'd love to talk to you, but we can't help you. I think some of this is a little bit of a disservice to people because if you're the vendor, and I won't be name names here, but if you're the vendor and you have the job description, then on the other hand, you have the resume. It's not, you know, I think you do a little bit of a disservice to the driver, warehouse worker that's trying to go for a job beyond their qualifications and stuff. Why not serve up jobs to them, anyways? But my role is really just to feed as big of a wide of a file as possible to narrow it down. I have an excellent recruiting team that takes it from there. Our processors is as as simplistic and streamlined as it, it can be. Just to get people in, it's an easy apply. It takes five minutes to apply if you have a resume. That's no fancy, all these questionnaires and things like that. And our first conversation is a phone call conversation with our recruiting team that goes over our employer brand, our offering, and then also gels it with the individual's wants and needs. Not everyone's going to be a perfect fit because we can't offer what they're looking for. So we wish them well. For those that do do agree and they look like our model, then they move along and meet be- hiring managers and take it from there. Typical process would be interview, offer acceptance, onboarding, et cetera. Happy employee.
0: Exactly. Happy, engaged, high-performing employee. You mentioned top of funnel is tricky now because the way the labor market is, it's inverted from what it was, what we saw in 21 and 22, where you could argue that the applicant had all the power. That power is definitely shifted to the employer. You talk a little bit about this notion of quality versus quantity. Having been in your seat in the past, you, you do need to push a certain amount of volume to fill your open requisition. But on the flip side, you don't want to stress out the recruiting team by giving them 2, 3, 10x the applicant volume they need to fill a role.
1: Yeah, this is something that I actively manage on a not daily, but at least weekly basis to look at. I, and I look at from all of our sources, where are we getting individuals coming in. And then within a day or two after receiving them, I can see what disposition they're in. So if they're unqualified, they're getting disposition out of our process right away. If they are qualified, they're moving on. So I can gauge how we're doing and divert resources from one area that maybe has less of any other area. But I would say in healthcare in general, it's always been a tough market. There are a limited supply of healthcare professionals out there. It's not easy to become a healthcare professional, which it shouldn't be, right? So these, these it's hard. There's a limited supply out there. And I think healthcare professionals still have the leverage because there's a, or some leverage there. I don't think it's the same situation with other meals, technology you mentioned too, where there's been downsizing. I don't hear many healthcare organizations da- downsizing scratch that I just heard in a certain state that we operate in, a competitor there was downsizing. And we learned about that from people applying to our jobs because they said, hey, I'm working at XYZ. And like, why do you need to take a job? They're, like, they're closing. They're going like bankrupt. And I'm like, that's how we learned about it. So what happy to bring them in
0: for our company. It is. It's a great point. We were talking about this prior that healthcare is really since 2020. Although honestly, I can't remember a time in the past that healthcare wasn't in dire need of, of top talent, but you've got a very certain audience that you're looking for. And that audience is of a certain size. And it's a matter of how, I guess, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Chuck, but how do you set yourself apart to gain kind of part of that captive audience. For folks that apply for roles at your organization, uh, can you talk a little bit about how you keep them engaged throughout the interview process or how you set yourself apart from your competitors or probably in a lot of cases going after the same talent? Yeah. I think, I think our employee
1: value proposition is quite unique. And I mentioned it before, it's not for everyone. And that's the role of our recruiting team. Yes, just find out what the individual applicant's looking for and marry that with what we're able to offer. And so I think our value proposition is really unique and it's not found in other places. Our workplaces, most of our jobs are hybrid roles. So someone can see patients for us, either via telehealth or in one of our 600 plus clinics across the U.S. Our clinics are our really state-of-the-art. They're a nice place for patients to come to, which also means they're a nice place for our staff to come to, too. I don't get the benefit of that. I work at home, but <laughs> anyways, But so I think our zero so value proposition is unique and different from what other organizations would be offering. As far as our process, too, our process is not your typical process where someone applies. It's that proverbial dark hole, right? Black hole. And they don't hear anything, but conceivably someone could apply today within a day or so they're going to hear, within one business day they're going to hear if it's one of those, because we're dealing with a limited supply here. Yeah. They're not going to hear if someone is not a qualified mental health care provider they're probably going to get a template a an email that says, sorry, you're not seeing that you're qualified. But the rest of the individuals are going to be contacted either by text, or phone, or email at all three, saying, hey, we'd love to set a time to talk. However fast that time can go to schedule, it could be within a day or two after that. After, if both parties agree to move forward in the process, the applicants like what we have to offer, we already know that they're qualified because it, we're only hiring licensed healthcare professionals. So the bar for them to come work for us is really whatever state that they're working in. The state has a, given them a license, I and mean, they don't give out licenses freely. Right. So the bar to come work for us really has already been achieved. So, but after that initial phone conversation, if there's a desire to move forward. Then we present them to the hiring manager. That can take one to three days to have that interview schedule there. And then we're not waiting weeks to go ahead and make them an offer. If the person you know goes through this process, has a hiring manager, they want to move forward, we're typically making an offer that day or the next day. And like conceivably, someone could apply today and have an offer within a week. When I hear about companies that I think the average time um time to hire is like forty-two or forty-five days or something, I'm like, how can you do that in a upmarket, down market, whatever? We conceivably someone with us can come and have an offer with us in a week or less.
2: This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Reambi. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with Reambi. Reambi streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reimbi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reimbi can help your team, visit That's Reambi, Reimbi.com. That's Reimbi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com.
0: That is incredibly unique. And I guess it makes sense, right? So if you remove the part of the job where you have to assess if they can do the job, because that's all been handled by the licensing component, really everything after that comes down to value alignment, fit, all those different things. To your point, though, a week versus 42 days versus, I'm here to tell you, I'm talking to folks, it's taking them 90 days, four months average time to fill. It's not cutting that much out. And I think it's a very unique process you have. It's obviously very candid driven. I was talk to, talking to someone in the veterinary industry and they said something very similar. There's only so many veterinarians out there. It's our job to, to make sure that we find those that are they're most aligned to our values and we're we're providing a certain level of service and makes them want to come work with us. It, it, to the point, do you feel, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Chuck, but do you feel like really your employee experience starts in the interview process because of how kind of applicant-centric you make it?
1: I like to think it even starts before that because we're not making people jump through a bunch of hoops to apply. In fact, we don't even require people to actually apply. For a lot of our positions, we hire psychiatrists. These are medical doctors, with specialty in psychiatry. Oftentimes our recruiters will put their emails and sometimes phone numbers right in the job post. and so if a psychiatrist doesn't even have to apply online. Right? They could just pick up the phone or send a direct email saying, "Hey Ashley, I'm picking on Ashley. She's one of my recruiters. Hey Ashley, I saw your opening in Richmond, Virginia. I would love to come talk to you about this." Ashley would be perfectly fine, and all my team members would be perfectly fine with not having a resume. They'll there's some companies, sorry, no resume, yet, you know, we're not doing anything. It might be that we're able to all the people that we hire and anyone in healthcare, you can look up their license, publicly available state license board and stuff. So we can look them up and know that they have an active license. And again, like that's the barrier for us. They have to have an active license. And then we we'll definitely want to talk to them. So like I've told people before, I guarantee if you apply to us, you're going to hear from a human being within like a day, two days tops. business days, that is. Because so we want to talk to you, like our, my team members love to talk about what it's like to work for at LifeStance. Our, all our hiring managers, same thing. A lot of them have been with us for years and they're, they're excited about what we're doing. And I think that's that. The employee experience you'll write does start at, at the candidate experience. and for us. I think it starts at the apply. Our plan process is name, phone number, email address, resume, four things. That's it. The other typical question, there's no having to create an account to log in to Unless apply. You Unless apply. you know, who. lots of people do that. I'm as a big candidate experience person. I would have none of that. <laughs> so we don't make people go through all that stuff. We collect that information out of the bat. We survey people after the bat. And but I think it starts at the very beginning then people can see that they are hearing from people. There's not a there's not a black hole with us for if you're a clinician.
0: Yeah. And you said you, people are gonna hear back in a day or two, which is I think at some point, and I'm not gonna with a broad stroke say everyone, but I think there are certain pockets of our industry where people have forgotten we're in the people business. That's literally <laughs> like the commodity. That's, right. That's the commodity that we work in. We have, we are relational by nature, and all this notion of the bots are rejecting you're not a human's not even looking at your resume. You know we can debunk that, but there is a certain amount of don't call us, we'll call you in the talent space right now, and I think it's amazing that you all are running into that headwind and trying to do better by your applicants.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm astounded about it. I think this should be commonplace for any position, not just healthcare. This is you're right, this is we're in the human, and this is a relationship type business. I know for my team, there's not a bot iwi or ranking resumes we look at a human is reviewing every one of them even the ones that are under unqualified and stuff they're still getting reviewed by a human being i know there's a lot of that out there i think we deserve as humans to go ahead and have someone review things i'm not opposed to AI doing some things that might be more simplistic, I guess, but on the human to human, I don't think we're going to have AI or robots make this, the decision to hire people ever. If you are a hiring manager, oh, let the AI robot hire this person. I don't think, I don't know. I'm hoping that it never comes to that. I think humans still want to work with humans. You really can't talk with the robot. Like I can talk to my Alexa, right? Alexa and I can get the weather, and, or if I'm cooking in the kitchen, I can have Alexa set a timer for me and stuff, or play certain music and stuff, but I wouldn't say, hey, Alexa, hire me a licensed clinical social worker or an r so I wouldn't have Alexa or any of AI do that.
0: Yeah, I think where AI misses the mark is context. People want to pivot. People may be looking to move and may not be in the geography where the job is posted, but if you don't actually have somebody, and I'm not above saying that humans sometimes can miss context as well, but it's far less likely if you have a pair of human eyes looking at something and they see somebody with the background you're looking for, but they need a little more information. Automation is completely going to miss that, any of that nuance. And like we said, we're in the people business. I think it's our job to dig a little deeper.
1: I would just add, Aaron, that I've all I've said this before, so I know I've said it, I hear it in my head all the time. Interviewing is not, is a learned skill. And sometimes the best interviewers are not the best employees and some of the, and sometimes the best employees didn't interview so well. Like the whole interviewing process is filled with bias and flaws. And I, I just think that we need to remember that too, is that interviewing is never going to fully predict how well someone will do in a job. The best predictor of how well someone will do in the job was doing the actual job. So I'm a I'm a we can't do it in healthcare because you can't like say, hey, come in and work for a few days as a counselor. That doesn't really work that way. But there are a ton of jobs where you could invite someone in and come work and not for free. This is if someone wants to volunteer, they can go to the Red Cross or something like that to volunteer a nonprofit. Pay them. But have them come in and do the job for a few hours or a day, or if it's a remote thing, have them do some sort of project that actually is meaningful. It's not like an academic exercise, but pay them for that. Don't make people volunteer to do things. Like a better predictor of how well someone will do the job is to do the actual job. I consulted with a small business owner that was a remodeling contractor. This was several years ago. And I asked him, he needed help hiring. He was doing, I was working on digital marketing and he was doing really well because I was helping him get his name out there with digital marketing. And he called me one day and he said, Hey Chuck, you need to put the brakes on all those ads. And I said, respectfully, why? he Because we don't have enough people to do the work. If we go ahead and Sell jobs, and we can't get to it for two or three months. Like people go on a wait, and he's so stop the ads. You don't have enough people to do the work. And I said to him respectfully, Kenny is his name, Kenny. Of all the problems a small business owner can have, having too many customers is not a bad problem to have. Let's work on hiring. And so I went in and helped him. I. Audited how he was doing the interviewing process, and then we totally changed it around. We're like, stop bringing people into your office and sitting them down. That's not the job that they're doing. You need people at all different levels of carpentry, from like beginning level, journeyman, expert. Like, he would hire anyone in that sort of path. And so I said, why don't you just and take a call with someone when they apply and send them to one of your work sites. And have them report to one of your existing supervisors and say come to work and we're going to it's not volunteer we're going to pay you at the end of the day come back to the office and we're going to pay you for your time and then see how they do how well did they interact with co this is residential so there was homeowners like how well did they interact with the homeowners and the homeowners pets and the homeowners kids Going then call the supervisor. That we have a report to and say how well did you know how well did they follow direction? What's their quality of the work? Like, this is like on the job interview. And, and the people that did well invite them to come back the next day and then go work. Oh, I want to get two supervisors to think. I the have them go to the other supervisor and see what happens there. And then after that, you can really gauge how well they problem solve how well their customer services, soft skills are, how well their actual skills, calpitude skills are. And then you can go ahead and bring them in at whatever level that you've evaluated them, but forget the whole interview process. And a funny story, he called me and said, hey, we had some guy show up in flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt, and he showed up. And I said, what did your supervisor do? And he said, sent him home. And I said, "Good for you." I said, "You told them you're coming to work, and carpenters don't come to work with boss." Yeah, I guess the Hawaiian shirt would have been okay, but not shorts. <laughs> Anyways, it's harder to do. And this is a small business owner. I still believe he, he hires this day, but there's probably a way to go ahead and really look at your end process
0: and see what you can do. I, I think. It's more art than science, right? You have some folks, as you mentioned, who are consistent in how they interview, but not so good, actually, in practice. And you have others that are, I know some folks who are terrible interviewers but really good at the job. And they're just not able to translate that throughout the interview process. So I think it's our job because we're in the people business to suss that out to figure, A, is this somebody who's just really gifted to answer my questions? And there are things, right? There's assessments, there's work trials, there's all these different things you can insert into the process to try to assess what day one effectiveness would look like or on the job effectiveness would look like. But without something like that, you're just guessing. And we talk about the the true cost of turnover or the total cost of a bad hire. Nobody can afford to consistently hire poorly. It's just not something we can do. You and I are incredibly budget conscious. We don't want to have to keep reinvesting the same resources and money to keep hiring the same seat because we've not assessed talent effectively throughout the process.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of that too is training your hiring managers to go, they were pretty inside of things on one side, but there's a whole other Hiring manager side, and I suggest people go and sit in on the interviews, especially if it's a new relationship with a hiring manager, to see how are things going. I think sometimes hiring managers forget you're, they're this is a two way street. the you're interviewing them, but they're interviewing you, and you're still having that. You still need to be pitching the good things about the company, and then addressing any things that. Might not be great. Might might not be stellar. You still need to be selling's the wrong word, but you need still be promoting. Like why why do you work here? That's one of my questions. Like when I've interviewed, is I always ask anyone that I'm interviewing with about their history with the company and what they think about it. And you're typically talking with people involved with like recruiting and stuff, but they all have their. If they're, on, if they're honest, and I'd like to think that most people are pretty honest about this is that they're like, now here are the things I like. And I really like this and I've been here. When someone says, I've been here 17 years, you are like, whoa, who stays up not 17 years, but there's something to that. People don't stick or, stick around that long, usually. And then, then also like the hiring managers need to express that, talk about why they're there, what they're getting, what what is it about the mission of the organization that they appreciate my like you And then be honest about it too. Like you can't hate a total rosy picture here when it's not a totally rosy picture. I've applied to jobs before where I can't, I couldn't apply because their web career site was down and I'm like, Ooh. So I reached out to the person that posted it on LinkedIn and said, Hey, kind of interested in this job by, and they're like, and they're like, that's exactly why we're trying to hire because it's I'm, <laughs> I'm broken. And like, perfect, I can fix that. I have fixed that before. Anyways, but I think at the end of the day, like most companies really should be looking at, well, who do you want to hire? You want to hire someone that gets along with other people, right, because yeah, yeah. none of us are doing a job by ourselves for the most part. So gets along with others. And when others, I mean internal and then external. And then someone that's a problem solver. Like I want, when I'm hiring people, I'm looking for problem solvers. Like things aren't perfect, nothing's perfect. I need people to go ahead and see see where our deficiencies are and try to work on things to problem solve. Uh, I don't want to ever go to my boss and go, you got a problem with this. <laughs> yeah. No boss wants to hear that. I don't think would say, hey, we got a problem with this. However, this is what our plan is to go ahead and correct that. Showing boss that wants to hear there's a problem. Bosses want solutions. Be a problem solver. So get along with people and be a problem solver. A little creativity along the way is about by there. And of course, sense of humor. So
0: yeah, it still work. But one of my favorite bosses of all time taught me that lesson very early in my career is do not come to me with a problem unless you have got at least a solution, preferably three to five, but at least <laughs> a solution, how are you going to address that? Um, Chuck, this has been amazing. I appreciate your time and walking me through your process and your background. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, I really like what Chuck's got to say. I'd love for you to, A, how can folks reach out to you and connect? And also, I'd love for you to plug your podcast and talk a little bit about that. Sure. Cool. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. I always enjoy
1: talking with you. I wish we, I'd like to talk more often. So, <laughs> absolutely, uh, let's make a plan for that. You can find me on LinkedIn, Chuck Solomon. Solomon is S O L O M O N. All of those. And also, if if your listeners are, if your listeners are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, I also host a podcast called The Candidate Experience Podcast available on all the major podcast channels. Just search The Candidate Experience Podcast or Chuck Solomon and any of your favorite podcast channels and they'll come up. I'm always looking to interview non-vendors for my podcast. So non-vendor meaning not a recruiting agency, not a HR tech firm I'm looking to interview people like myself and yourself as well and I'm having you on definitely when I can't wait that'll be awesome (laughs) but yeah thanks again for having me appreciate it so awesome Chuck thank you so much it's been a pleasure likewise
2: thanks for listening to this episode of the how we interview podcast brought to you by Reambi head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.